everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Here today with Denver Nuggets President of Basketball Operations, Tim Connolly. Stay with us. Tim, welcome in. Uh, good morning. How are you, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me. So give, give me a rundown of the Connolly family morning routine right now that you are uh, that you are a part of suddenly. Shockingly, uh, I'm barely part of anything. My wife right now has them in front of computers doing some uh, e-learning. Uh, I got a four and five year old. They're about ten and a half months apart. Um, so they, the funniest part of the morning is watching my four year old try to figure out if it's live or if it's taped. Um, you know, wake up, have breakfast, try to keep them as uh, entertained as possible. The school is doing a great job. My wife's a rock star. And then um, every day we've kind of picked a different theme day. Yesterday was the Olympics. Um, today I think we're going to try to make a movie if we can find our our camcorder, which will be a challenge <laughs> in itself. But um, you know, it's fascinating. This time is so challenging for everybody, but for kids especially, they they can't grasp why they can't go see their friends or go to school or even on the playgrounds in Denver. Everything's locked down, so we went out for a walk the other day, and the playgrounds had police tape all around it, and trying to get them to understand it without scaring them has been a challenge. Yeah, Tim, you you were it. One of the teams that was at the ground floor of it on, I guess it was March 11th. You know, it's funny. I look back and I was like, oh, what was that about? That was a week ago, right? And I look back, no, man, that was two weeks ago. That was almost 15 days ago. I'm already losing track of time. Uh, you were with your team in Dallas that night when Adam Silver suspended uh, the league right in the middle of your game what, what do you remember about the moments after that and, and, and that evening? How, how, how indelible is that going to be in your mind when you think of moments in your career that, that you just don't forget? Certainly, that'll be up there. And I've been in the league for a long time. And the day of the game, I kind of got a sense that it might be one of the last games with fans. Um, I I've, was way too interested in this topic for several months, uh, reading about it from China when it hit mainland Europe. And had a certainly not to the level we're seeing today, but had a sense it could be potentially pretty impactful on our country. Uh, what was weird about it is we were mid-game when the directive came down from the NBA. Um, so a couple of our guys were kind of aware of it, but not fully aware. Uh, Gary Harris got cut; he had to come back in the locker room and get stitched up during a game at Dallas. And he asked me about it, um, so I think he was the only guy that was fully aware of what was going to happen soon there after the game. So. Trying to certainly competitive and it was a big game and playing a very good team. You're focused on the game, but talking to talking to Josh and being kept up to date with the situation, it was hard not to realize how insignificant that game seemed at that moment. And talking to our guys right afterwards, talking to our staff right afterwards, it was one of the stranger moments I've been around professionally. Uh, just the so much unknown. I think. Adam and the NBA did a great job being so proactive and aggressive. Um, and I think they kind of set the standards for not just sports, but a lot of different industries. But what's was especially challenging is you want to have answers when, when guys ask you questions. And, and that evening we had no answers. And several weeks later, we still have no answers. You, you know, you mentioned, Tim, the fact that you were aware of it. And I think you and I talked about it prior. And I think especially for two reasons, right? Number one, the, the league was keeping teams pretty well, very, I think very well abreast of, um, like through conversation, through memos, through 
like this is coming and we've got to start preparing for it. But I think, you know, you're, listen, you've been to every corner of this world scouting players. You have a lot of relationships with people all over the world in Europe. Uh, in, um, and, and so this, I, I got a greater sense that people in the NBA were more acutely aware, um, maybe more, I think more so than our government was trying to prepare us because it was sort of, it was intertwining in, in all of your worlds and, and you, you, you just knew it was coming. Yeah, I think that's a good point. We have the part to me that got real or said, you know, this could really quickly make the jump from, uh, you know, Wuhan to our side of the world is when the Lombardy region of Italy started really uh, having all these positives and taking these really strict measures. Um, you know, Northern Italy is a beautiful part of the world. I got a lot of friends there. I also know it's, it's, uh, not the most rule laden part of the world. So when I saw that part of the country reacting with such vigor, I said, this thing is pretty scary. And I have to imagine at some point it's going to impact us. I think to what level, to what extent, obviously none of us knew. And we still don't know every, every day you're reading, you're watching interviews, you're trying to be as informed as possible. And to the politicians' defense and some of the, some of these uh, scientists and uh, medical professionals' defense, Anytime it's unprecedented, you can't really look back and learn. But I think as an NBA community, with all our relationships, whether you knew guys playing or coaching in China, whether I mean, we've all spent a ton of time in Milan or Bologna, uh, back in the day was a pretty popular scouting city. I think we knew enough people that were ahead of this prior to it affecting our country that we had a pretty good indication that um, th- this is not going away and it's something that should be on our radar. Tim, there was the Nuggets announced that one member of their organization had tested positive for the Corona virus and your group had to be under quarantine as the president of the team. What, what, what's your role in understanding exactly what that means and then executing it with your entire group? What, what, what goes into that? The entire group was probably happy not to see me for 14 days. It was, it was a win for them. You know, all we care about is the health and safety of our of our staff, and our staff is collective. All basketball operations coaches, scouts, trainers, players, and their family. We, this is a societal issue; it's not a basketball issue, and we put that uh, above anything else. So, whatever we could do to keep these guys informed and keep them as safe and healthy as possible has guided all of our decisions. So, with that being said, we're also letting them know that we don't have all the answers. And we, we don't have a crystal ball and we're unsure of how this thing's going to develop, but let's listen to really smart people and take their advice and let's err on the side of caution to ensure that we can all come out of this thing healthy and uh, connected. Because again, with so much unknown, it can create paranoia. So we want to be direct. We want to be informative, but we don't want to have anyone living in fear. Tim, when they shut down the practice facilities, you had a week, well, teams had a week, and there were some teams that were bringing players in. Uh, they could work out with a coach uh, for like 30 minutes a day, one-on-one, and then that got shut down. What, what's what been your, in Denver, how have you handled, listen, you're a team that is 
um, if and when there's a return this season, you know, you're a team that's at the top of the standings in the West that has, you know, significant postseason aspirations. What's been the plan and, and sort of the message to your players about how to deal with the uncertainty? How can you stay prepared and yet follow these rules that are in place where, you know, you, you just can't go wandering around to any gym somewhere and, and getting a run in? It's been really challenging. We shut down our facility for 72 hours after we flew back from Dallas. Um, then we reopened it. And, uh, you know, I, I talked to the guys and asked them what they thought about having this couple hours a day at the gym. And, and they all really appreciated it. I think it was cathartic as much for the physical activity. I think the social aspect of it, getting out of the house, talking to uh, friends, talking to um, colleagues. Uh, and then the league mandate came down. So we've been the building's been dark for a while now communicating with these guys constantly. Again, first, second, and third is listen to the CDC, listen to your local state governments for the most part, um, socially distant, um, social isolation, excuse me. If you show any symptoms, let us know right away. Um, and then on the back end of that, we fully expect there to be games to be played and we have pretty high expectations for what we could potentially do this postseason. So you don't want to make it a basketball topic, but I think we have enough competitive guys and guys that have put a ton of time and effort into the 60-plus games we've already played who know that we have a, a puncher's chance to make real noise in the postseason. That that will always be on the back of their minds. These guys are competitors. Um, these guys have, have grown up in the gym. So it's been a heck of an adjustment, but I think so far our staff's done a good job of trying to be creative with keeping these guys in shape, whether it's you know online classes, whether it's uh, – a bunch of guys have Pelotons or getting outside for a run. I think, you know, how do you guys keep these, how do you keep these guys from being deconditioned? Um, but also again, you know, basketball should be very deep in the back of our mind right now. We, we have to be good teammates in our community and our society to ensure this thing moves past us as quickly as possible. Tim is, is the closest comparison you can find to trying to find some, um, Something to draw from about how a return to play could be. Is, is it a lockout? Is you, you've been through a couple lockouts. Is this the closest in terms of, um, and it's not exactly the same because in a lockout, you go play where you want. You could, it's up to you to stay in shape. Do you draw anything from any of those that you've been through? I've really had a hard time drawing anything as kind of historical context. I think one of the most challenging things right now, you know, if you're lucky enough to be healthy and not have been touched firsthand by this virus is all of us are used to some degree of schedule, you know, something to look forward to. We play on this date. We're going to work out on this date. We're going to take a vacation on May 1st, whatever it may be. And our players are no different. So to try to keep them focused without having any real schedule or defined dates is especially challenging. We're, we're fortunate because we have a group of guys that are, self-motivated. They don't need to be led into the gym. They, they care about their craft. And I think they realize that when this thing it gets back on the court, it's going to happen fast and furious. So the, the more prepared they stay in, in these days, the better. But I've had a hard time with that. I think, you know, unprecedented has been a, a term I've used way too often uh, the last couple of weeks. And I think it really is. And I think the unprecedented nature of this event um, does it make for any right answers at the moment? You know, hopefully we're learning on the fly and continue to 
get a little more educated and can get ahead of this thing. But um, in terms of uh, pointing to anything in the past that looks similar, I've struggled with that. I wrote about this the other day on ESPN and, you know, there was a conference call that, you know, you helped put together last, I guess it was last Monday with uh, a bunch of GMs, um, maybe a third of them in the league. And it wasn't meant to be comprehensive. It was just, I think a group that were, you guys were kind of texting, emailing. And it's like, Hey, let's get together and as a group and, and talk a little bit. And what did you find getting on with your peers? This is a time typically where trade deadlines long over. You're not to the combine yet. You're not talking. You guys aren't necessarily this time of the year all engaging where you'd look at this time of the year in the calendar. You said in the piece that there's a real sense of fraternity right now in the league. Uh, how would you describe what you and other GM presidents have been able to lean on each other with? Yeah, I'm so fortunate to count those guys as colleagues, as friends. They're all way smarter, way more accomplished. And when I have, when we have issues organizationally, the, the easiest thing that I've found to, to help potentially shed some light on any internal issues is call those guys. And, you know, this is a, again, a societal issue. Our basketball community is pretty small. Um, most of these guys that are in these other chairs, I've spent countless days on the road with them all over the world. Uh, as we speak right now, we have a couple guys that have been impacted greatly by the virus guys that you know long time front office guys so i think pretty quickly teams realize this is not about competitive advantage this is not about one-upping uh, we'll have those moments um, the trade deadline the draft free agency where competitiveness will lead the day but right now we have to ensure that we're doing everything possible collectively to help and the the call was very helpful in the ensuing emails and exchange of ideas was helpful because a lot of these teams are, are doing really neat things that we had never thought of and we're trying to institute. And the more that we idea share and communicate, I think the better. Um, it's not just about basketball. It's about getting on the phone with 10, 11 different cities. Hey, what, locally, what guidance are you getting from your government? Like, you know, Bob was great. He was uh, essentially, as we're speaking, the state government starts to take action and they're in a, a shelter in place. Um, so he, he gave us some what we could likely expect in the coming weeks. Now in Denver, we have a similar directive from our local and state government. So I think basketball, again, was minimally part of the conversation. It was about, hey, you know, we, we're a community. We all have staffs we care about. What's the best way to get through this? Tim, there, there's been a lot of – you've had a lot of initiatives in the league that you've had to look at, discuss, analyze, in-season tournament, play-in tournament in the postseason, reseeding. You know, Steve Coonan at Atlanta's had this idea for years about moving the schedule from December to uh, through the summer, through August. Do you wonder if what comes out of this is that it might end up being a canvas that initiates some change or kind of like maybe like a reimagining of the league and, and maybe there's a mindset more so of people going, okay, What's best for the league? Do I have to look at things and maybe agree to things that in the past I thought maybe didn't benefit my team and my market and my situation, but we've all got to be looking at the greater good? Do you wonder if there's a shift in the aftermath of the virus's impact? I think everything has to be on the table. We're in un uncharted waters, so I think we have to be as creative as possible to 
how do we salvage this season? What does it look like? What's realistic? Um, I think we should all always have our eye on the greater good. We're, we work for individual teams, but we should all be fans of the league, and we all grew up being fans of the league. So I, I hope and trust that, that most of the teams take that same approach, that what's what's good for all of us. You know, Eventually, regardless of any rules, sometimes it will benefit you, sometimes it won't. Um, but I think with the uncertainty comes maybe a chance to be creative and a, a bit more um, aggressive in terms of moving things around potentially. I mean, I trust that Adam and his staff will make the right decisions in that regard. Uh, but I do think it would be remiss not to look at this time as a chance to potentially recalibrate and be as creative as possible with, with looking at everything, all the things we do. I think there's a lot of, it's not just the NBA. There's a lot of things we do in society. We just, we do just because we've always done it and they perhaps aren't the best practices. What's been the one thing that you've seen more on television or on Netflix or what's the one thing you've gotten into here the last couple of weeks you would have never maybe had time to spend? Like what, like what world has been introduced to you? Uh, such a loaded question. I mean, there's, there's a, a bunch of different corners of my mind right now that have been obsessed. I think for about, I would say, two and a half months, CB19 and kind of a byproduct of that is international financial markets, which I knew nothing about. Um, it's, I'm just really scared about the economic impact it's, it's going to have, the ripple effect. And I still, I was an idiot before. I'm slightly less of an idiot now, but kind of really digging in and, and reading countless really smart people uh, projections really smart people kind of downplaying this, not think it was going to be something serious and trying to have a grasp of how big of an impact this will be. I mean, I'm looking out my window right now and I see restaurants shut down. You know, this, the poor people in the service industry have a bunch of buddies that have small businesses and have talked to them over the last couple of weeks. And you know, I couldn't imagine that something completely out of your control and, and not of your doing could so negatively impact you know, thriving businesses. I talked to a, a buddy last night who has a t-shirt company. He had to fire 75% of his staff or lay off 75% of his staff. So th- those those things have uh, really been front and center, and it's scary. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed that the, the government stepping in with a stimulus package will, will help kind of bridge a lot of these small companies. Um, and then, you know, there, there, you said Netflix. Uh, Tiger King. I don't know if you've seen Tiger King. It's a must watch if you haven't seen it. You know, um, I've had a, I've had a few people mention it. I've seen it. I I I finally asked somebody the other day, "What is it?" And some it's a zoo, right? It's a zoo? No. Oh, it's well, it's way under way All right, way sorry. underrating Tiger King. All right. Don't 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 undersell Joe Exotic. <laughs> it's a it's an animal refuge in Oklahoma. Okay. okay. Um, that I'm unbelievably disappointed I Never stopped in on my numerous Oklahoma scouting trips. Um, and the leader or the owner of that refuge was a, he's a, he's a pretty, uh, fascinating guy with a lot of different angles and it, it turns into, um, you know, there's, a there's attempted murder charges. There's a, a cast of characters from all over the country. Um, I mean, I, I like documentaries as is, but we watched that the night it came out and, um, I, I've been, uh, one of its biggest agents, and I've had a lot of people like a lot of people say you're out of, you're out of your mind for liking this show. But that's been really good. I think all of our texts have been filled by the same memes. A lot of Dr. Fauci, he's everywhere. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, 
there's there's another couple characters that uh that always are on my phone. They're probably not meant for this podcast, but it, it, what's fascinating is when you think about uh, the commonality of even those things, you know, whether it's Fauci, Tiger King, or some of the you know the the, the not PG things that everyone sent along. It shows you how much we're all connected, which all all corners of the world and the states are sending me the same thing, whether it's a, a Joe Exotic meme or a Dr. Fauci uh, video. Um, I mean, we're all as different as we are. We're all, you know, without being too corny and cliche, we all really are in this together. And this, what we're facing has no boundaries economically or uh, your faith or geographically, I mean, it's going to touch it. All of us have hasn't already. And I think um, if you can find any positive, it's kind of the sense of community that that's already there and, and much more so than it was there a couple weeks ago. You know, it's funny. I, I, I was thinking about you and I uh, had, I guess it was a lunch or maybe it was an early dinner in New Orleans. I don't know, maybe a, I guess it was a couple months ago. I guess I think I was in New Orleans for Zion's, first game and you were coming in with your with the nuggets you guys had an off day in new orleans you were on the trip and we crossed and we we had you, you walked me to a place that i hadn't been is people El Gato negro yes right like you great mexican spot yeah in the quarter I, obviously you know new Orleans. you 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 worked there several years before you became the gm and now president in denver and so you know all these spots but i think about the conversation we had that day about, we were talking about climate change and we were talking about the world that's going to be there for our kids. Uh, mine are older than yours, but the challenges that are going to be there when even we're long gone. And we were talking about down the road and it's like, well, down the road is, <laughs> it's here, right? It, it just feels like this is the kind of stuff we were, you know, we're talking about, well, 25, 30 years in the future based on the models and what the planet's going to look like and what we're not addressing. And it's just funny. It felt like the conversation you and I were having not so long ago. Here it is for our kids now. Yeah, it's scary. I mean, that was a, a pretty deep conversation, especially considering I think I was having a carrot margarita at the time. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think when you have, as you get older and you have children, it's, it's hard not to, and you'd be irresponsible not to think about those things and put them more front and center. In our profession, it's easy to be self-absorbed. We think everything is determined by wins and losses or acquisitions. And, you know, our world is, is a relatively small one, but it's big enough that you can pretty quickly uh, be enveloped in it and, and not realize how little it all means. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, not unbelievably competitive and I, I don't sleep at night after losses or we mess up a draft pick and don't sleep for years after things like that, but you know, we're in a, a funky time right now. And that conversation certainly kind of foreshadowed where we are currently. Um, I, I don't know, um, you know, you can only control so much, but when you have children, you want to do anything in your power to ensure that what you can control will make their life better. And I don't know if collectively we're doing enough of that. I think uh, whether it's, you know, you know, politics or whether it's, um, kind of the, the widening gap between the, the haves and haves nots. Um, it's kind of a scary time right now. And uh, again, if there can be any positive from this, 
we look back in a couple months when there's a vaccine, when there's treatment, when we were effectively out of it and overcome it. I think um, there's been all the the social and community walls are so often put there, uh, whether it's financial, whether it's faith based, whether it's race based. I think right now there's a, a real sense, more so than I've ever felt in my life. Maybe after nine eleven, you felt this for a while that you know we, we're all the same. And the more that we can help each other and the more we can be forward thinking and kind of get each other's back, the better the life is for everybody. How much, Tim, do you feel the burden you feel every day when you have a staff? You know, they saw what happened in Philly and you say, okay, that was salary reductions. And then the team pulled back. But it is inevitable. We're going to see it. Listen, I think more people, the unemployment numbers this week that came out on Thursday morning were record setting. There's somebody in America always likes to talk about records. Well, this is record setting unemployment, the biggest ever, right? Um, and so what's the pressure you feel about, you know, they're looking to you and, and you'll work with ownership on it, but but knowing that like there's going to be some hard things to figure out based on the economic impact of this, what this is going to mean for Josh Kroenke doesn't just oversee the Nuggets, but he oversees the Avalanche. You have two teams there. You have the arena what do you feel in that way in your position and trying to find ways to avoid having to go down that path with your staff? Well, we have fantastic ownership that's, I think, stepped up as much as anyone in the world in terms of some of these hourly game night employees. A lot of different teams have done a fantastic job, but you know, our ownership group owns the building, owns countless franchises. The building has events on 26 of 30 days. So what they've done already, I think, is pretty telling of how much they care about their staff and how aware they are of how how tough this thing is. In terms of our direct staff, let, let's be honest, we're all we're already so unbelievably fortunate. Um, we make good money to watch, coach, or play basketball. Um, so you know, one, one thing that, that I, I'm not a fan of and I talk to my kids all about all the time is never feel sorry for yourself. And, I don't think the NBA can ever feel as if they're in a bad place. I think what I'm most concerned about is buddies who are have bars and restaurants, guys with small businesses. Uh, and I have a good buddy who has a an oil and gas company. He's worked his tail off last couple of years. And I can't imagine how hurtful it must be for him economically that you have CB19, you have Saudi and Russia kind of jostling about oil prices and you're just trying to get a company off the ground in Colorado and West Texas and Oklahoma, and this happened. So, I think while we're always going to ensure that um, you know all of our colleagues are are taken care of, and I think ownership has done a great job of leading that charge. I think we have to again, be aware of, uh, of how you can help those who are in even tougher spots in the community. So, I think the the NBA is look, it's not reality. Um, the money's not reality. The way we travel is not reality. The job itself's not reality. And I think a lot of people are facing the really harsh realities right now. And how can we help those people? Yeah. And I think, and I said this the other day, I think on one of the other pods, but I, I do hope, and, and I think this, hopefully this is true throughout society, but I do think it needs to be true in the NBA. And I can't speak to other professional sports, but I think, and I'm guilt, we're all guilty of it the money is so big and it's big for the players and it's big for the coaches and front offices. And like, I've seen a little arms race in the last few years among 
front offices, GMs, presidents about who's getting what. Well, he got, how much did he get? Well, I want more. And there's this sort of sense of it's this never, it's, there's this, uh, pot of gold that we're just going to keep digging out of and everyone's always going to have more and more. And I, I do hope this serves as a reminder that no one's entitled to any of this. And we're all lucky to get to work in this world and to probably never have a real job for a day in, in our adult lives. And I do hope what comes out of this is more of a sense of gratitude and proportion. Maybe proportion is the word, uh, because I, you know, we, we kept talking about the salary caps going up, the BRI, there's more for everybody. And then all of a sudden there isn't. No, absolutely. I look at right now who matters? First responders, medical professionals, scientists, deliver, you know, truck drivers, uh, Grubhub, um, restaurant workers. The, 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 we picked up a pizza yesterday and the guy was great and Tim and, and a chef and he was so thankful we came in there. Um, the, I think oftentimes when society's humming, there's not an appreciation for why it hums and only those on top of the financial hierarchy are, are probably given enough credit for what's going on right now. We all need each other. Um, it, we're interconnected. We're intertwined. We've become so global. Um, so if supply chains are messed up in China, which they are, we're going to, we're going to be impacted. If, if the goods that, that you want to buy can't be delivered because the truck driver is sick, we're going to be impacted. So I, I, I agree. I hope it's a chance for us to kind of reassess how much we all need each other and how much we should all value each other. And look, right now I have, um, you know, a brother who taught for a long time, had a couple of sisters and nonprofits. And, um, I always say, you know what? I, I would be very happy just leaving this profession and, and coaching and teaching. And I've, I've been a part-time teacher for 10 days and it, it's amazing how, <laughs> little, little those guys get appreciated. I mean, yeah. teaching is hard. Um, it, it's difficult, and uh, our society is certainly kind of upside down in, in how how little these guys um, are valued, both financially and just kind of on a grander societal scale. But um, they're keeping us afloat right now. I mean, if you're a nurse right now, you're you're a real hero. You know, it's not the athletes, it's not. The performers, if you're the, just delivery, if you're a bus driver, you're putting yourself in harm's way every single day. So I, I'm, I'm with you, Woj. Maybe it's too, um, it's a little too pie in the sky, a little too rosy of an outlook, but I have my fingers crossed that they'll be a little friendlier, a little more connected society, you know, after we get through this thing. All right. This, this is a difficult transition, Tim, but I'm going to explain this the best I can. So, we're recording this podcast with our producer, Dan Stanzik here. Uh, we have to log into a website and then we call into it and we do it through our laptops. But you have to type a name in when you're entering the little podcast room. Share with me the name you typed in. I'm going to share mine and, uh, it is a common, I think a common love we have. Who, who did, what name did you type in, Tim? Today I was leaping Lanny Poffo, you know, a great wrestler from the, 80s and 90s. I think he played double-A baseball. Macho Man Savage's brother used to write he poems was Macho and then Man. throw him, he yeah, was his throw him on a, uh, throw him on a, um, frisbee, if my memory serves. Yeah. Yeah. I, I went with Johnny Rods. I tried to type in, I tried to type in the unpredictable Johnny Rods, but it said it was too many characters. And like, of all the things, Tim, that like, you know, of all the things we're leaning on on ESPN, we're going, 
Like we got home run derbies coming. We've got, you know, retro everything. Like what would you and I not give to go back to that hour World Wrestling Federation, 10 minute matches, uh, Bruno San Martino, like that was my tag team, Johnny Rods and Jose Estrada. Um, I saw them at Bristol Central High School when I was a kid. They came to my high school, watched them lose to, I think, the Wild Samoans. Um, <laughs> but what, like, like what, we, we'd be front and center for that era of wrestling. Yeah, it's just, it, it's political correctness is overwhelmingly positive. But, you know, I was fortunate, even in the NBA, I kind of came in before there was camera phones or social media and it was, you know, yeah, it was kind of old school sports. But I think that, that era of wrestling is about as old school as it gets. And those guys live tough, tough lives. So whether, you know, you watch the documentaries that have been out there, there's a great show on, um, Netflix right now, Beyond the Ropes, Dark Side of the Ropes. But, um, it's the characters. We're so unpolitically correct. Yeah. And you had like Nikolai Volkov's daughter went to school with my sister. And Nikolai <laughs> Volkov was not Russian. He was Croatian. You know, <laughs> the Iron Sheik, my wife is, uh, you know, she's Persian. She was the first one born in the States. Her, the rest of the family was born in Iran. They kind of fled, um, after the, the religious right wing took over. But, uh, you know, he was a, a near Olympic level wrestler and I think a bodyguard for the Shah. So the stories, and then these guys are driving, from Baltimore to Trenton and stopping at Burger King and getting in fights. So uh, these guys, it's hard to replicate how crazy these guys were. And I don't, it's just a, a good sign of kind of growing up. We didn't have cable when I grew up. So uh, maybe once every week or two, we'd go to Errol's. I don't know if you had Errol's in uh, Jersey. Oh, I'm sorry, Connecticut. Yeah. Um, you go to rent the video. So we'd rent, you know, WrestleMania from Soldier Field and there'd be, Mr. T would fight or they'd have these just absurd concepts and they really worked. Yeah. Um, so. well, yeah and that, right. And you talk about like, it was the iron Sheik. whatever middle Eastern country, the U S was in some sort of, <laughs> whatever middle Eastern country, the U S was in some sort of conflict with, he would be, he was from Iraq. Then he was Iranian. And then, and they, they just pretend that the seven months ago, his background, we just changed it and you're all going to go along with it. And, um, he just played whatever stereotypical enemy. Uh, you're right. It was, well, I didn't get the videos, but I would go, uh, Novak's pharmacy actually on the West end in Bristol, Connecticut. I don't think it's there anymore, but they had the wrestling magazines and it would, they would come in once a month and they were like maybe two or $3 and I would save up and go get like what the latest wrestling. Like I never saw Ric Flair wrestle, but he would be in these magazines. We didn't have, we didn't have cable either. And so I think Ric Flair and those guys were like on Turner and, but yep, I didn't, yep, yep. I just, I just knew like Nick Bockwinkle was the AWA champion in the Midwest, <laughs> but I, I only knew him from the magazine. Now my, my grandparents had cable and I'd walk to my grandparents. We'd walk to my grandparents after school and then my mom would come pick us up. And I only reason I knew who the Van Erics are because they had cable like WCW wrestling would come on at three 30 on a, and you know, not really high pro, uh, production quality. <laughs> um, I mean, I read an article and, and, Saw a video recently about Kamala. Kamala, uh, you know, is from Mississippi. She's not from anywhere in the continent, the African continent. And he, I guess he got into a, he got into a fight with Andre the Giant. And he was so scared that Andre the Giant was going to come get him again. He said he wrestled with a gun in his trunks <laughs> for a couple months. <laughs> you know, like you can't, you can't make it up. And it's, um, again, it's, it's a good, 
reminder of, of where we were. And he, I ref, referenced uh, Nikolai Volkov. He ended up being a liquor inspector uh, in Baltimore County with a buddy of mine. And this, this, I couldn't get enough stories about him being a, a health code inspector, a liquor inspector. I mean, I couldn't imagine if I'm, you know, if I'm waiting to get a liquor license in, I don't know, Essex in Baltimore County, and this this guy comes to the door. Um, it, it also speaks to prior to me getting the MBA and really, you know, getting a better sense of how small the world is and having all these great travel experiences. I wouldn't know the difference between Croatian and uh, Russian. Uh, one of our assistant coaches. Olga Stojakovic, a great guy. When he came here, I think they uh, wrongly stamped his uh, passport as Russian. And he had to explain to the people at DIA, I'm not Russian. You know, I don't speak Russian. I'm not from anywhere near Russia. I guess at some point we're all uh, behind the same communist regime. But uh, just how ignorant all of us were, and to be honest, a lot of us still are. Uh, but I don't know if today could Nikolai Volkov, a Croatian guy, I think he's from Split, sell himself as a Russian guy or would be real time with some internet sleuth say this guy's not <laughs> Russian. He's speaking Serbian. Yeah. Well, well, the, the, like, like my, like, I'll never forget like my, wait a minute. Wrestling isn't what we, it was at my, it was at our high school and I don't know how old I was. I was pretty young. And I remember we got there really early and we saw the guys in the parking lot pull up in their vans and they were walking from the parking lot up to like the entrance to come into high school. And I saw the, I, um, I think it was, I guess it was the Samoans and you know, their whole thing was they're crazy, right? They're, they're crazy. They were like, they literally just, you know, these were insane people and they'd come in the <laughs> ring. And, and so I remember standing there going like watching them get out of the driver's side and the passenger side of the car. And I'm going, how can they give these guys licenses? They, like, what are they doing <laughs> driving? These are crazy, oh, insane people. And they were like, but wait, they look normal. They're just pulling their bags out of the car. They're throwing it over their shoulder and they're walking in. And I'm like, how can they have driver's license? And I'm going, what is happening here? Right. But they, you know, they just were on. Well, yeah. yeah. I'll tell you what's an underrated. It's, and now they have, a, I think, a Netflix show about Glow, but it's, it's traumatic and it's well done. But Glow was insane. When Glow came out, they had no real audiences, you know, it was, an all-female wrestling troupe and trying something out new. But if memory serves, it used to come on like 1130 on USA Network. But they had a they had a woman that was just insane. That was her thing. Like that was – her stick was I, I'm insane. Yeah. Um, could you imagine you try to have it, it, the same character today? Yeah, it was a real, a real, a real nod to mental health uh, uh, <laughs> exactly. progress in America. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean the stuff, and I I got to give a a shout out to the Baltimore Sun. I mean, local papers across the country right now are are struggling, but I'm pretty certain they still have. And I I've never been a wrestling match, so I worked for the Wizards, um, but I just you know, love the shows. Um, I'm pretty certain they still have a weekly wrestling column. And if you didn't know any better, you know, if you're coming over from, you know, some country doesn't have a big professional wrestling scene, you would think they were writing about a traditional sport. Hulk Hogan beat Macho Man Savage on Saturday in a surprising result. So, <laughs> I, I just love the, how, how kitschy it is. And um, again, it's probably the, the politically correct world we're in is fantastic, but it's also fun to look back at some of these insane ideas that made its way to national TV. And the, I mean, these WrestleMania events were huge events, you know, 100,000 people, uh, you know, Soldier Field, 
where the Lions used to play. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's yeah. just, it's, and how much vitriol that these, some of these villains can draw from the fans oh. is, uh, it's amazing. This guy's oh, an unbelievable yeah. performer. Hey, my, my life changed when Larry Zabisco hit Bruno Sammartino over the head with that chair. Like, and, and Bruno had that sort of fake blood dripping. I was like, like, how could Larry's, how could he do that? How could he turn? That was like the first he, good guy turned heel. Anyway, anyway, I think of life changing events and, uh, we can certainly Larry Zabisco is at the top for me. Ted, we could go all day on, um, wrestling where there's like another era we could move into, but, uh, uh, you, wrestling podcast. Oh, it would be. We both have a lot of time on our hands right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, listen, get back to uh, schooling. I think recess recess should be coming any day, any moment, I guess, at the uh, Connolly household. Maybe you can um, uh, go out, lead, lead a gym class, and then come back in and work on math here in the second half of the day. Yeah. <laughs> any downtime for me is what snack do you want, and, and let's see what's on Netflix. <laughs> Tim, thanks for taking time, man. Appreciate it, and uh, hopefully uh, I, I know we'll talk here again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me, and um, I appreciate you kind of giving us something through all this. It's a, a weird time, and we'll, we'll all get through it the, the more we stay together. Absolutely. Thanks, Tim. See ya. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. You can listen to new and archived episodes of the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast, and be sure to listen to the SVP Pod with Scott Van Pelt, The Low Post with Zach Lowe and Brian Windhurst and the Hoop Collective, all wherever you get your podcasts. Stay safe, everybody, and we'll catch you soon.